the voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. What's going on, guys? This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right. So... We are going to recap the Baylor Bears versus the West Virginia Mountaineer game. Uh, so let's get right into it. The Baylor Bears defeat the West Virginia Mountaineers by the score of 45 to 20. A lot to unpack, so let's get right into it. My initial thoughts after the Texas Tech game was we weren't very good. And then before the game, I changed my mind. Classic WVU fan, but apparently my original prediction was right. We're just not very good. And that hurts to say, but our record proves it, and our performance definitely proved that on Saturday night. Um, Saturday's game was their seventh straight road loss. We're two and four, and although we came into the game losing three games by a combined 12 points, they got absolutely beat in their fourth loss of the season by 25 points. It's very disappointing. Looking at WVU's schedule, I don't see a lot of winnable games um for the remaining six games and so hopefully not but most likely we are not going to make a bowl game this year which coming into the season I'm sure a lot of fans and people predicted that we would at least get six wins and make it to a bowl game what did you see on Saturday yeah what one of my key matchups was the the battle in the trenches um and unfortunately the offensive line and defensive line got pretty manhandled we didn't have any sacks we had three tackles for a loss when we generally have six or seven a game on the season. Um, and on the offensive line, everyone was getting beat. The only offensive lineman who didn't get beat um, that I saw on tape was uh, Zach Frazier. Um, Moore, Yates, um, and White all got beat multiple times. And when I say beat, I mean they weren't battling. They just literally got beat off the ball as soon as the ball was snapped and blew up. The got the, the entire play got blown up solely because of them. And that can't happen on the offensive line. Um, so, you know, I kind of looked at a bigger picture than that and say, okay, well, you know, we have these nine times where an offensive lineman led to a play being completely blown up. How many plays did we run? So we ran 77 plays, which means 17% of the time an offensive lineman led to the play being completely blown up in the backfield. Um, and that's just not acceptable. You can't get a huge loss of yardage 17% of the time and expect to win a football game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And, um, I mean, this has to be the worst offensive line I've ever seen play at WVU in the plenty 20 plus years that I've been watching WVU football. I mean, maybe someone older than me can remember a line worse, or maybe I'm completely blanking, but this has to be the worst team that they have had in a long time long time they are just a nightmare and and brown has to go through uh the transfer portal get some jucos he has to do something to fix that offensive line because the guys on it just aren't cutting it now obviously we talked about frazier um you you don't have to get five guys but um you definitely need to get a couple to patch that up or it's gonna be just a recipe for disaster next year the line has made zero progress And so, I mean, Matt Moore's the coach. I haven't seen any progress from the first game to this game. In fact, if anything, they might be getting worse. So how do you feel about Matt Brown? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, I think he should be fired yesterday. Um, 
you know, I just don't see enough progress over the three years. And it's not like everyone on the offensive line is just a complete bum, for lack of a better ter- term. You know, I think Gemitter, Frazier, um, Nestor has some potential. That Those are some quality guys. And you have Wyatt Milam, who I think next year is going to be a stud, um, needs that extra year in the weight room. Um, our tackles aren't great, but I, I think there's some configurations that can work. And, you know, I'm just not seeing the progress. And a lot of it comes down to just misidentifying things, things that are coachable, like whenever a linebacker is blitzing and he's clearly blitzing and we're not recognizing it, we're not picking that up. Or whenever, you know, you have a, a defensive tackle who's attacking the, the outside shoulder of the center next to you and you're helping with that guy when you don't have a chance to help with that block instead of helping with the lot, the defensive end who's cutting inside on your inside side tackle. It's just lack of awareness and things that should be drilled into practice so that you know if someone's capable of doing that, number one. And number two, if someone's going to be able to identify and execute that in the game day. And it just doesn't seem like we're doing that. Um, and I haven't even mentioned the the false start penalties and holding penalties our offensive line does. That Those are things that are coachable too. So um, I am out 100% on uh, Matt Brown or Matt Moore, sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, this offensive line has to do a complete 180 for these last six games, I think, for him to to keep his job. Otherwise, he has to go. I mean, Neil Brown can't just keep keeping these guys around. Neil Brown is a really nice guy, but, I mean, are, are you willing to lose your job over this? They're giving Letty Brown absolutely no chance to have successful runs. He has 422 yards on the season. That's only 70 yards a game. This is a guy who had 1,000 yards last year. And he's not even close to being on pace to breaking a thousand this year. Um, and it just shows again, we are regressing. We're, we're not getting better in these areas. Yeah. And to put into context too, Letty got a thousand yards last year in a 10 game season. So um, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're in a regular length season this year and he probably isn't going to hit a thousand yards. And that, a lot of that's on the offensive line, just not getting pushed, not getting to the second level. Um, you know, just need to see a lot of progress there and, you know, maybe even some more creativity with the offensive play calling, you know, bringing in tight ends or bringing in more guys in motion to draw more linebackers out of the box. I know they do that some, but, you know, just do more of it. Um, you know, and, and another thing is who, who's a quarterback. So Jared Deggy there, he's no risk to run. Sure. He's had a, a couple nice runs this year and it's always fun to see him get up after a seven yard scamper. And, you know, you're like, yeah, you know. He has some mobility, but it's not Garrett Green. And when Garrett Green's back there, you know, running that read option, there's so much more room to run because Green is so fast and so quick. He just spreads the field out and gets those linebackers having to hesitate that one second that he needs to find a hole and, you know, get five or six yards. Yeah. Yeah. Deggy, he has no chance of making plays back there with this offensive line. As you just said, he's very limited with his mobility and, when you have a line that bad, I mean, you're you're just not going to win football games with a pocket passer who likes to hold the ball, throw it deep, and I'm not putting it all on Daggy. Obviously, he does have issues, and um, I'm sure he'll even tell you. He'll take some of the blame. But with an offensive line like that, you've got to give guys like Green more snaps. In fact, it, you're two and four. I mean, the season's probably a bust, and so you've got to start getting ready for next year and let's face it green or goose crowder is probably going to transfer at some point in their career because you got nico coming in next year it's just a crowded um 
it's a crowded room for quarterbacks. And so those guys are going to want to go where they can play and who can blame them. Um, but don't you want to see what you have in these young guys before one of them decides, Hey, I'm not getting playing time here. I'm going to go somewhere else. What if you let the best guy out of those three walk because you decided to play Daggy these last six games? Yeah. I mean, and the, the argument for starting green too is, is that, you know, number one, it's going to be extremely difficult to, to make a bowl game. So it's kind of a lost season. Um, number two is, is that you, like you said, you want to find out what you have for next season is green, the quarterback next season, or should we start looking at Crowder later in the season? So I would start green the next three or four games and have him solely out there just to kind of figure out what his potential is. Um, another thing I like about green is he is clearly extremely athletic and you know, that could be applied to different positions. So if he's not a quarterback, Maybe he plays running back. Maybe he plays wide receiver. Maybe he's a gadget guy. And you just kind of move him in and out, run the wildcat, do different things like that, um, and see what you have there because he can be a weapon there. And then you could go into next season saying, okay, we got Goose some reps in games 11 and 12. We think he can go out there and start the beginning of season next year. And if Nico wins the get job, then great. If not, if Goose keeps it, then great too because, you know, you're having that competition and you know what you have now instead of figuring out, you know, games one and two next year and then ending up with potentially a bad record trying to figure out who your quarterback is. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, I think Neil Brown, credit to Neil Brown, he does take a lot of blame in these press conferences. He doesn't try to push the blame elsewhere. But he, I think he has kind of set Daggy up for failure in certain situations. Like, uh, we've talked about it for several weeks now. Green is so much better in the red zone than Daggy is and so yeah if Daggy gets you down into the 2015 why aren't you putting green in there more often to maybe relieve Daggy a little bit because you have his numbers he has just not been good in the red zone all year and so I blame that on Neil Brown that's just not his strength and you could have maybe saved him some criticism if you would have and maybe got us some more points in these games where we were this close to winning if you would have just maybe made smarter coaching decisions. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And the, the stats don't lie, like you said. Um, I believe we had five red zone trips against Baylor, um, on the, and which accumulated in nine plays. Of those nine plays, we had um, seven passes from Jarrett Deggy. Seven, two of those passes were completed. One of those was a touchdown, and that touchdown was a tip pass. Um, we had one rush on Jared Deggy snaps um, from Letty. Um, so one out of eight, that's like 16%, really bad. Um, but Green had one carry, one play in the red zone, and he had a 13-yard rushing touchdown. Um, and that extrapolates to the rest of the season, too, where over the course of 79 plays, which is a pretty big sample size, Deggy has 24 incompletions compared to 14 completions. He's thrown one pick. Um, he's been sacked twice. He has six touchdowns, but he's only averaging 3.5 yards per attempt. Um, but... Our running game is about just as effective with 37 rushes, 3.4 yards per carry, and just as many rushing touchdowns on just about as many attempts. Um, and then Garrett Green, you know, already has four touchdowns when he's in the red zone too. So it just kind of goes to show you that for whatever reason, Garrett Green is effective in the red zone and Jared Deggy for whatever reason is not. And, you know, I think as a coach, especially with the type of guy you have in Jared Deggy, who seems like a real quality guy, he's a team player. He wants to win. Um, you know, I don't think he would mind putting in, you know, coming off the field outside the 20, if it meant that we were winning, he would, you know, celebrate with green after he scored a touchdown um, and be happy. So 
yeah, I, I just don't understand why it's so hard to make that switch when the numbers are right there about how effective green is in the red zone compared to Deggy. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm sure Deggy's a competitor, but I mean, he says all the right things. Everyone says he's a hard worker. Um, Coach Brown has said several times that him and Green get along, and that's why he's been able to play both of them because he knew it wouldn't split the locker room. And uh, so, yeah, I agree. If if it meant winning, I'm sure Deggy's a competitor, but I'm sure he, you know, he he wouldn't throw a fit about it. So I don't understand that either. I've heard the argument that if you start green, maybe that limits the playbook. But we just played a team in Baylor who doesn't have a huge playbook. Granted, they were a running team prior to passing the ball all over us, which helps you limit your playbook a little bit if you're just running, running, running. But um, it's, it's not like if you run 20 to 30 effective plays that you can't use a smaller playbook. I mean, you absolutely can as long as it's working and you're mixing it up and disguising it and using more motion, which, of course, would be great with the speedy guy like Green if you could get more guys in motion. All I know is I need to see major changes next game. We got two weeks to get ready for TCU. That seems like the perfect time to make a change at quarterback. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people over the past couple weeks just because of the two losses that we've had and the manner that in which we lost – start to, you know, say we don't trust the climb anymore. Um, and I, I think that's kind of fair criticism because we haven't seen the growth. We haven't seen, you know, fixes to issues that seem fixable. You know, first and 10, first offensive play of the game, we're calling a timeout. Um, we're still committing stupid penalties. Um, we're still kind of running the same set of plays. And that's it. Like Garrett Green's playbook hasn't really seemed to expand that much, except for whenever he came in in the fourth quarter. Um you know, and, and we're still running the same plays with Jared Deggy, lots of slants, lots of short stops. Um, it's predictable. And, you know, we're not doing anything to fix the issues. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, some hostilities within the coaching staff. People just aren't, don't want to work together. Um, I don't know if it's just they don't know how or if I don't know if it's a limitation due to the personnel we have. But, you know, either way, I would like to see some progress somewhere. And I just haven't seen it. Yeah. Absolutely. Climbing means you're making progress. And like we keep saying week in and week out on this podcast, they, they're regressing every week and they, they keep making the same mistakes. The timeouts when it seems so unnecessary. How do you call a timeout before you've even snapped the ball in the game? And then um, I know it doesn't really make a difference because we got beat by 25 points. But early on in that game, uh, I think it was third and eleven. And then we get a false start penalty on defense or not false start, but you know, offsides. And then we give Baylor a third and six and we stop them. But then we, that led to a fourth and one that they went for it. Whereas if it's a third and 11, they probably aren't one yard away from a first down. So, I mean, that's on you. I mean, we do too many things that just um, hinder ourselves and we're not talented enough to overcome all these mistakes. Yeah, and we talked about that last week where Baylor, their game plan is to succeed on first and second down, either by getting a first down or getting into a third and manageable. If they're on a third and five and longer, they're going to struggle. And they didn't have too many of those situations. And when they did, we did something to screw it up. Uh, another play call that I really did not like was at the end of the second half where there's about a minute 20 left. We're down 18, fourth down for Baylor. 
we don't call a timeout. It just seems like that's the coaching staff giving up. Um, and they've lost hope that they can put anything out there that's going to, you know, score points with a minute 20 left, which is a lot of time in college football, especially when the stop, clock stops after first downs. Um, I know as a fan, that just kind of sucked the life out of me because, you know, you want to see them fight. Even if they turn the ball over, even if they have to punt and Baylor scores again, you tried. And that's all I want to see is trying, effort, something. Oh, yeah. And still in the first half, you got to have faith in your players. I mean, that you're acting like you're the one up 18. You're down by 18 and you got a chance to get the ball back and maybe even get a field goal. I know I would have felt a lot better if it was a two possession game going into halftime. Instead, you just let them kill clock and then you take a knee. I mean, right then and there, it almost it, it was deflating just to watch that going into the half. 100%. All right, let's get into the defense because um, they did not have a very good game either, so they deserve a little bit of criticism this week. Bohannon went over 300 yards for the first time this season. He's been a game manager um, pretty much up until the WVU game, and we made him go out there and look like Tom Brady. He was just slinging it all over the football field. Thornton, their wide receiver, for the most part, has been held in check all year prior to the WVU game. He had one really good game against Texas Southern. But versus WVU, he went off for 187 yards and two touchdowns. Our defense just, they looked lost on most plays. Um, the, the, the man coverage was getting burnt for deep passes. Um, the zone looked lost, especially on that wheel route that ended up going for a touchdown. Um, and on... Baylor's podcast, they have 365 Sports. They do an excellent job of covering Baylor sports down there. Um, Bohannon and the running back went in two different directions at least four times, they mentioned. And WVU's defense fell for it every time. So even on PAs, when they were messing up the plays, our defense was still biting on it. I mean, that I don't I don't know. We just look clueless. It is. Yeah, I, I, I'm still clueless as to what, even after rewatching the game, what the defensive strategy was. Um, we knew Baylor's offensive line was good coming into the game. Um, I had to think we knew that bringing four guys every time wasn't going to work. Um, I, I don't think we got creative enough with our blitzes. I, I think, you know, the, the coverages that we were running were just confusing. There were so many plays where I saw our outside linebackers covering out to the sideline. Um, it wasn't even like more of a flats. It was more like a, like a hook zone out on the sideline and they were responsible for covering outside receivers because our corners are out of the picture and those are just matchups we can't win we don't have the linebackers who can handle that assignment um and baylor knew how to take a, take advantage of that they attacked our linebackers and coverage over and over and over again to great success um i felt like um alonzo adai had probably his worst game of the season i felt like he was trying to press and cover for all the different mistakes everyone was making and that led to mistakes on him. So it just, it was like a, a row of dominoes where the defensive line wasn't working. The linebackers were getting attacked and the defensive backs who were, you know, normally pretty solid. were just trying to scramble and compensate. And there was no adjustments made to, to stop the bleeding. Yeah. I mean, I know Baylor is a very fast team. They do have talent, but I mean, like we just said, there was times that our defense, it wasn't like they were just, losing a foot race there was times they literally just looked like they didn't know where the ball was or where it was coming and it, it it's disappointing i mean you 
you can't expect the, the defense to be great the entire year. And in my opinion, I think they've been very good up until the Baylor game. And some people criticize them because they give up late drives for points. And that's how we've been losing these close games. But I would argue that um, they made a lot of big stops in those games. And it's just the offense didn't do enough for us to win. Um, but this game, I mean, I, I can't think of one good thing to say. I agree with the game plan. It seems like, um, y- you know, we, we, we didn't just rely on our front to get pressure when they were, when they kept passing, we just didn't adjust. And I've seen that all year with our coaching staff. It seems like whatever our game plan is, we will never waver from that in the middle of a game. And you have to be able to make halftime adjustments, even adjustments from quarter to quarter. And I haven't seen us do it once all year. Yeah. I feel like they're just so worried about, like you said about Baylor's offense being simple, but with all the motion, all those different movements that they give you to the outside, the jet sweeps, the the outside sweeps that they run to Smith and Ebner, um, they were afraid of that. So it seemed like the coaches kind of wanted them to bite up and play those, which played exactly in the Baylor's hand. Um, They kind of anticipated that we would do that. And we didn't just, like you said, you know, whenever you see that that's happening, you got to tell your defensive backs, you know, don't bite, don't bite. It doesn't matter. Let someone make the play in front of you. And if they get to you and they gain eight yards, that's fine. It's better than them gaining. What was it at one point, 26 yards per attempt in the air. That's just completely unacceptable. That that's unbelievably bad. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about the defense because it it was just horrible. I can't find anything really, really nice to say about it. So I, I I don't want to keep going on and on. You got any more about the defense? Um, really the only thing I have to say is I, I do think, um, Chandler Semedo did a good job uh, against the run. Um, he led the team in tackles with six tackles. He had a half tackles for a loss. He did have two pass breakups despite being beat several times in coverage. Um, so I, I think he did okay. Um, I think Nick, Nick Troy for, fortune had an up and down game, but I felt like despite getting beat early on, he recovered and played pretty well in the second half, which is encouraging. Cause when someone's getting burnt like that, um, you know, it's really easy to fall apart. Um, I also liked seeing in the second half when we were down um, us, you know, us rotating more defensive players. in. Um, I noticed Linnell Carr came in, um, Aubrey Burks in the defensive backfield, um, Deshaun Stevens, the middle linebacker. You know, it was just nice to get a good look at players who we just haven't seen yet this season. Yeah. And I heard Coach Brown talk about he rotated people in at the end of the second and the end of the fourth. And yeah, that is good. I mean, in a game where it looks like you're not going to win, you want to get guys out there and see what they got, see if if maybe they can help you win down the road. I hope this isn't a sign of things to come. I hope they weren't exposed. And now people have the blueprint on how to beat our defense, because like I said, I, I think they've been solid all year prior to that game. So hopefully it was one fluke. Everyone can have a bad game here and there. Hopefully they bounce back and are strong for these last six games because our offense will definitely need the help. Definitely. Yeah. I think on the the, the terms of, you know, seeing depth players play more, um, we're actually down one depth player now with uh, Middleton transferring. Um, You know, there was an article posted by um, our good friend, Brad Smith at the Voice of Motown. Um, about the transfer situation. And, you know, I guess you could take it with a, a grain of salt, but he had some very um, unappealing things to say about Neil Brown and how he handles the team. Um, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there there seemed to be a lot of transfers in this offseason. And I know you and me were talking about it even during the offseason. Off we, we just kind of chalked it up to, hey, you know, Neil Brown's getting rid of the guys who don't want to buy in and he's keeping the guys who are and we we thought it was a good thing and we weren't really concerned about it well then you have a week ago um you know we have Watkins and Thomas transferring and now Middleton um who was supposed to come in and contribute immediately this year and it is getting a little concerning that um people are just continuously leaving and I also think it's a little curious that it seems like a lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball where it seems like you know, that is our strength, and that's where we do play good football most of the time. So I do find it very curious. Yeah, and they're Neil Brown guys too, which I find weird because a lot of the guys who were transferring before were those guys who came in during the transition. And you can understand when someone wants to transfer and they're not playing for the coach who brought them in. Um, but players who brought in, who are brought in by someone who's still there and they're working with directly, that that's concerning. And it's not like it was Jamila Dye who was recruiting and then went to Georgia and Tyke Smith followed him. Um, you know, we haven't had anyone from the secondary transfer yet either. So I just don't understand what's going on. And, you know, if what Middleton says is true, it could explain a lot of just the discipline issues that we have on the team with bad penalties, um, bad use of timeouts. So, you know, I know it's Occam's razor that, you know, if it makes the most sense, then that's probably what it is. But, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, poo-poo on Neil Brown yet, but it's going to be interesting to watch the next week, week and a half, I think, to see what else comes out and see if anyone else transfers because um, it sounds like there's a few other players that are frustrated and see if they corroborate the story or not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping he turns it around. I hope we we get a couple wins these these next few weeks and, and hopefully turn things around because I don't want Neil Brown out by any means. I don't want to have to start all over again. I don't want to be one of those schools every three, four, five years we're starting over. It's hard to start over and to just bring in a new coach who has to bring in their coaches, their players. I don't want to be that type of program. But I will say the, the positive that we keep saying about Neil Brown is, well, he recruits well. He's not coaching them up, it seems like, for now but he recruits well. Well, the problem is if you keep having games like you had against Baylor, if you keep having seasons like the way this one's going, you're not going to be able to recruit well. People are going to be watching those offenses that can't move the ball. They're going to be watching these games that we're losing. And, I mean, kids want to go somewhere where it seems fun to play. And I'll tell you, at least as a fan watching these last few games, it has not been very fun. Yeah, I agree. And I hope that, you know, whether it's through media outlets or the coaches themselves or other players on the team, someone can come out and say whether what Middleton says is, is true or not, because that's a bad look for the university as a whole. I mean, if other recruits are seeing that and there's, you know, seeing these little, you know, things where it just seems like there's no structure there. Is that something you want to come into? Do you want to come into a, a forest fire or are you going to start peeking elsewhere, especially when we have you know, potentially the best recruiting class that we've had in, you know, probably close to 20 years coming in soon. And no one has signed yet because signing day is still a few months down the road. Um, you don't want to lose those guys. So you need to play some some defense here and get out in front of it and say, you know, maybe he's a bad egg. Maybe, you know, he's stretching the truth or he's just frustrated. Um, say, say something to 
lock in those guys and make them feel secure. And maybe that's something that's going on behind closed doors. They're calling the recruits and letting them know. But, you know, also the fans, you need to keep their morale steady. Um, I know it's already low, but you don't want it to go to zero. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing um, to say about Coach Brown, um, Brad Smith wrote a good article, too, that said that what is our offensive identity? And that is a good question. I feel like that's something that Coach Brown really needs to think about and have a game plan for um, definitely next year, but maybe even these last six games. Like, what is our offense? Are we a running team? Are we a passing team? It's not good if you've been here three years and I have no idea what our offensive identity is supposed to be. Yeah, the only thing I've ever heard him say to that is that they want to be a 60-40 passing team, mm-hmm. but that's that's normal in today's mm-hmm. age. So uh, it just doesn't seem like there's really any sort of identity like are you an air raid system are you an option system are you uh, a vertical passing system all these terms that you hear all the time in the nfl and for college teams um he, he doesn't really provide a guiding light to to what his ultimate goal is and i'm not going to personally go back and watch him at troy to figure out what he did there because that's four years ago and it's irrelevant now and i don't want to spend my time watching troy games um so yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, plus I feel like, you know, you probably wouldn't be the same because if you're at a real small school like that trying to knock off big teams like LSU and what he did there, um, you probably wouldn't have the same exact game plan coming in to a team like WVU playing Big 12 teams. So I don't know, but um, I I hope it's something he's thinking about and figures out soon. <coughs> Let's do our good, our bad, and our wish, what we hope will happen. I'll let you start. Sure. So uh, my good is I'm going to steal yours from, I believe it was last week, and say Tyler Sumter was good. Um, I think this was one of his best punting games on the season. Um, you know, he, he had some really nice punts where it gave us or gave Baylor bad field position. And for a game where it was just filled with low lights for the team, he was a highlight. Um, for the bad, um, I'm going to say ju- just kind of the, the offense and defense as a whole. Um, the, the whole thing was just a mess. Um, it was completely off-putting to see that nothing was working. Um, we weren't really doing anything to try to figure it out. Um, and it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Just need more effort. And that kind of leads into my wish. And that's I want to see them go out there and and show some improvement against TCU. I want to see them go out there. And, and, you know, my wish would be them to score 21, 25 plus points in the first half to show that we've really figured out this offense thing. And if I don't care if it's Deggy, Green, Crowder, or if they stick, you know, some practice squad bomb in there at quarterback and he runs the offense, I just want to see something. Yeah, want to see progress. I'm with you. My good would be it's hard to find a good after the game like Baylor, but I would say wide receiver play just in general, how it's been. These last few weeks, I think they've really upped their game. And that is something that has been consistently good on offense. You know, last year, it seemed like every time uh, I turned on a game, they they were just dropping important, important catches. Like it seemed like every drive. But this year, I mean, I haven't really seen the drops be a huge problem. Um, And when opportunities present themselves, they've played very well. So I want to give them a shout out. The bad, it would be easy to say offensive line. So I'll go with defense since this was by far their worst game all year. Um, Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a lot, but I would definitely say the defense was my bad for that Baylor game. 
And my wish, my hope, I hope Neil Brown starts playing these young quarterbacks um, just because it's. I, I feel like it's his job as the head coach to sell us on hope. Uh, we need hope for the next season. And if we have a young quarterback come in and, and play decent, kind of like Daigie was two years ago when he started playing late in the year, it got us excited for the 2020 season. And I, that's what I want Neil Brown to do these last six games is just start playing some young guys. Let's get us excited for next year. He needs to sell season tickets and keep everyone happy at WVU. And so that's what I hope I see for these last six games. Yeah, I, I love that one. That's that's great. And, you know, just to kind of reiterate, too, on your point of, you know, what he did at the end of the his first season, the end of the second season, too, against uh, Army in the, the Liberty Bowl. Um, we made a QB switch and it just kind of showed you that he was willing to be flexible and do what it takes to win. And this year, a lot of people have questioned that. So yeah, a hundred percent. We need to sell hope. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, that is it. So we'll wrap this up. We are the voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork and thank everyone for listening. Thanks guys. <laughs>